This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland Seuss Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Even as politicians and bureaucrats make promises that won't be kept about cutting emissions and develop grand schemes that, if history is our guide, will fail to be followed, all having no effect on preventing climate change uh, over in COP27 in, in Egypt, the battle to educate people in the U.S. and around the world about the true state of the planet and the facts about climate science continue. Dave White, founder of CC Truth, climatechangetruth.org, is actively participating in that effort, having just produced a new college environmental textbook, science textbook, discussing the fictions commonly portrayed in the climate change debate and the truth about climate physics and the myriad factors that drive climate change. The title of the co-authored book is Climate Crisis Changed, The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Reports Are Deliberate Science Fiction. Pretty strong. Uh, I hope it gets some readers there in college. We're pleased to have him here today to discuss the book. Dave, thanks for joining us and sharing your expertise. Yeah, you're welcome and thank you for having me on. So Dave, before we discuss your book in detail, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or cctruth.org, Please share a little bit about yourself, your background, why you began to explore climate change as an issue, and what cctruth.org is, including what prompted you to found it. Okay, this will go back to the 1990s. One of our board members, a physicist, and this is explained in the book, in the foreword of the book, uh, is a physicist. I'm a chemical engineer with graduate 461 statistics, and we would, when I was working in semiconductor and he was working in other things, uh, we would take my RV to Mount Hood Meadows and go snow skiing. And on Friday night, we would pop open a bottle of single malt scotch and then debunk everything we'd heard about climate change or global warming since the last time we met together. And we did that for 20 years. In uh, 2016, I uh, retired from semiconductor lithography And when I saw what uh, these guys were doing, it hasn't had any effect, and they've been working on it for 30 years. I knew there was something wrong. And so I found a quick solution is planting trees. And I um, wrote a a publication called Discovery Reduction in Photosynthesis Correlation to Carbon Dioxide Rise and published it and started presenting at climate change conferences and then started... Uh, cctruth.org, a 501c3 nonprofit research corporation. So how how is cctruth.org, I mean, you're not the only member of cctruth. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Yeah, there's three board members, all scientists. Randy Beers is a physicist. Orlando Castanon is a general scientist, and, and myself are the board members. And you know, I started it in 2016, went to New York, presented at a climate change conference. They absolutely loved it. And then because of COVID, uh, everything's online, so these climate change conferences are only like 100 bucks to do. 
And so I've presented at 17 more. And then a couple of years ago, well, actually this past uh, February, we published the only manuscript to define the term net zero CO2 emissions or the equilibrium we need to get to. And we only have 8.6 billion tons of photosynthesis left in the world. Uh, well, so uh, you've the, who who were some of the? I noticed when I read the intro of the book that you have several co-authors listed. Who are some of the co-authors of your book? Uh, co-authors are Thomas Weismuller, which you probably have either heard of or, or know. Unfortunately, he passed away of cancer last year. Uh, David Plummer. Uh, Randy Beer, Mueller being part of the right climate stuff, the NASA's uh, climate science group. Yes, yes. He showed at many conferences, and I've been presenting his stuff, that global sea rise is 1.4 millimeters linear and not accelerating. And then Connor McMenery, uh, he, you know, shows the solution for the southeastern U.S. storms. And so he's one of the authors also. Uh you know, the, the IPCC review team scientists have contributed to this book, but most of them want to remain anonymous for obvious gotcha. reasons. So what prompted you to write, and this is, once again, I'm going to say the title of your book, Climate Crisis Change, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, are deliberate science fiction. Um, the IPCC's reports are deliberate science fiction, sorry. In other words, what did you hope to accomplish in writing it? Uh, writing this book is to get colleges, especially environmental science professors, to teach correct science to students. And right now, you know, they're all teaching garbage science. But uh, recently, as of last week, for example, three students, environmental science students at universities, have interviewed me in writing a report for their professors for this textbook. Well, that's that's uh, that's a positive uh, development. It is. It is, but you know the media is lying about it, and so that's why uh, we decided to write this. We started about two years ago, and it's taken a lot of time and effort into this, and it'll be published by uh, Durant's Publishing Group, the oldest book publishing group in the United States for, since 1920. Uh, they're going to publish it in May, and it'll be available on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble. But uh, you can get it on cctruth.org on the college textbooks page. And there's some other links to, like, our IPCC review and things like that that you can click on and see how their reports are deliberate science fiction. Right. So, Dave, it's commonly claimed that 97% of scientists agree that humans are causing catastrophic climate change. Now, Heartland just released a survey of climate researchers that refutes that claim. And in your book, you write that the so-called consensus is actually 33%, which, of course, does not constitute a consensus. How did you come to that number? I looked at the consensus page on climate.nasa.gov, and, and just real quick, climate.nasa.gov actually has no data for any of their positions. I've tried to get data from them for sea level rise, what they say, garbage, uh, other things that they have there. I had Dr. Andy Miller, who's the second in charge of the EPA's climate change research group, he tried to get data from them, too, and they wouldn't give it to him. That means they don't have it. 
But on their consensus page, if you read the actual manuscripts where they came up, up with that number, what they did is, I think it was, and this was a couple years ago I did this, but it is in the IPCC.PDF, I explain it, the actual numbers there, but it seems like it was like 2009 to 2012 or 13, there was 1,100 or so papers, manuscripts published on climate change, but only 330 or 320, something like that, were pro the UN agenda. And so what they did is they only, this is what they do, they cherry pick data, they only interviewed those 300 and some, uh, the scientists on those 300 and some manuscripts. And why they didn't get 100%, I don't know, but that's the stupidity of it. But, you know, since there was other manuscripts, it's 33%. And you can go there, anybody can go there and read them and what they did. It was complete, like they do, cherry-picking data to force an agenda that's not real. So basically they picked the 33% of papers that uh, conformed to their ideology, interviewed those authors. Even then, they, a small percentage of the authors said they disagreed yeah. <laughs> with the result, and that's how they came up with 97%. Yep, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how you conduct science. So, uh, Dave, to understand how and why climate change occurs, one must understand the factors that drive it. Uh, what, based on your research and understanding of the science, are the greenhouse gases that have the largest and smallest effect on climate, and what other factors play a role? And uh, they're, they're packing a lot in this question, but and is it likely that the present climate cycle will produce catastrophic consequences? Okay, that's a big question, but I'll try to unpack it one part at a time. So in terms of greenhouse gases, water vapor is a 90 or 89% effect. And the, the Supreme Court, as you know, this past year, have said the EPA cannot uh, regulate greenhouse gases because what they did is they put them they, they couldn't put them on their toxic chemicals list, which is what the subsection or section 111 subsection D of the uh, Clean Air Act of 1967 said you must do to be able to regulate it. But as you know, water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, which is laughing gas and ozone are not toxic chemicals. But the uh, actual data from Georgia Tech measurement and also uh, Dr. Blasing He's retired now, and unfortunately, I can't contact him, but he measured them also. So measurement, you know, data is king, not some BS model of the IPCC Working Group 1 that says that methane is much worse. It is if the concentrations are equal, but the concentration of carbon dioxide is 200 times that of methane. So they're, they're not equal in the actual measurements. Water vapor, 89.4. Carbon dioxide, 9.09. Ozone, 0.88. Nitrous oxide, 0.32. Methane, 0.29% of an actual effect. And on the, um, and then also a few years ago, some friends of mine knew I was working on climate change and they had me attend this small conference in or in uh, Portland, Oregon, over by the airport, and this guy Jasper, 
or I forget his last name, he used to be 30 years was a correspondent for the New York Times for the UN. And he told the truth and said that in 1984 he showed a page from the UN reports that showed that they knew that something, uh, there was a astrophysical event, the shift in the tilt of the earth in the 70s, and knew that 90% of the people lived in the northern hemisphere and there'd be warming in the northern hemisphere, and said that they'd call it global warming as an experiment to control people. That's what this whole thing is. And so I met some other people who had just came from uh, Brazil or Peru or someplace in South America and uh, were there at the conference, and they were friends of these friends that took me there. And they said, and, I, and it was really curious because they said, you know, nobody down there believes in this global warming because they don't see any of it. And I thought that was interesting. So I have a friend of mine who's a Unix expert, and we contacted Dave Laramore of the NOAA, of NOAA that is in charge, I think it's Dave, or anyway, Dr. Laramore of NOAA, who's, in, who's still in charge of all the NOAA temperature stations. And, of course, you've seen, and, and many of your listeners have probably seen YouTube videos about some of the NOAA stations where the university's got bigger, and so now it's sitting on a parking lot. Or So, uh, anyway, he helped us write a script that goes out and gets the temperature station data once a month and makes graphs. And in that, he helped us put statistics that would eliminate those bogus stations. So the script is on the data page, and the, you can click a link there and, and click on graphs that are made that clearly show that it's astrophysical warming. It's not global warming. So um, once you weeded out, what does your statistics show about warming? How, you know, is there how much? Is it uh, what they claim? What's going on? Because we've done studies, as I'm sure you're aware. We just released one not that long ago that showed the impact, the huge impact of the urban heat island effect on uh, temperature measurements. Yeah, there is some of that, but that's if, again, that's if you use those bogus stations. You can certainly do something like that. No, no, we, our, the point is we looked at it, we found the effect, and we looked at the temperature gauges that aren't impacted by the urban heat island effect, and we found that the temperature rise that they keep talking about is less than half of what they claim. Well, yes, but still, urban heat effect, um, I, would, I would have to get that data and do statistical analysis and see, and, you know, T-test or something like that and see if any of those should be removed because I have seen, you know, YouTube videos that a lot I, – I don't know how many percent, but I'd say it's over 50 percent, 60, 70 percent of those stations that were uh, put in there in the 60s and 70s, you know, a little ways away from buildings, mostly at universities, and now are on parking lots. Or, well, you know, sitting I, I guess I would. You know, so I, I need to, I would like I, to, although I don't have time right now, but maybe in the future, I'd like to look at the data or look look at what your guys did, and I'm sure they're smart, but maybe they didn't realize those things because carbon carbon dioxide, yes, there is a, a urban heat effect. I'm not, not negating that, 
but it may not be as much as you say. Well, Dave, uh, I, I just suggest you look at the paper because what we actually did was went to the stations, took pictures of them, measured them, uh, you know, showed pictures of them at night with the heat radiating. Um, oh, we, 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 we found that, uh, I forget what the number was, but it was something like 94% of NOAA's uh, stations were compromised by the urban heat island effect. So only, oh, okay. only, only 6% of the stations actually complied with their own rules for how to site an unbiased station. So uh, okay. I, I'm going to stand by it, I'm going to say. Well, no, <laughs> I, though, no, then, then yeah. once, you, once you explain that, then I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I know they're, they're compromised. I, like I threw out a number of 6%, but if your guys went and took those pictures and did that work, yeah. oh, I totally agree. Yeah, Data yeah, so. Anyway, I, so I suggest you look at the paper because it's the second, you know, it's the second round. Actually, the funny thing is, is in response to the first uh, study, which was released in 2009, uh, they create that, you know, shortly thereafter, they created the uh, the uh, uh, climate reference, UH climate reference network, which is of unbiased stations. And uh, but they never cite that data, but then right. they expanded the number of stations um, from other uh, that were in, in control of other agencies and just threw them into the mix willy-nilly. And uh, so it actually got worse between the first report and the second report because they added more bad stations and fewer good stations. But in any case, uh, I was just trying to get at um, – so what? some of the other factors, you talk about the tilt of the earth, the sun, you know, what else is going on? Well, the main effect of heating is a shift in the tilt of the earth. I've, I've talked to uh, I snow ski up at Mounted Meadows, and I met a guy who was a helicopter pilot up in Alaska. And um, he said he knows that in 2002 or 2003 there was another huge shift in the tilt of the earth. The runways, you know, the numbers on runways at airports are labeled by their longitude or latitude. And he said over that period of time, they had to change the numbers of the runways three times. So he knows that there was a, another shift of the tilt in the earth again. And then in 2014, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory wrote a very garbage manuscript and said that um, the melting iceberg in Greenland was causing a shift in the tilt of the earth. And they showed the shift in the tilt of the Earth in uh, 2003 or four or something like that. I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I looked at it. But they swapped cause and effect. <laughs> it was a garbage manuscript. Yeah. But they clearly showed a shift in the tilt of the Earth in the early 2000s. And why is the, why is the Earth shifting tilt? Okay. Well, you have 90% of the people and all their baggage and everything live in the northern hemisphere. And one of our scientists, you know, is a physicist. I, I'm going to ask him sometime in the future, I plan on doing this, ask him to calculate what, what effect would it be on the shift of the tilt of the earth when you have 90% of 8 billion people living in the northern hemisphere. Most of them, you know, like above latitude 30 or 40, or at least 20, somewhere around in there, not 
you know, not close to the equator. I have the data, and you can see a graph. Actually, with the temperature graph on the data page, I also put in there a graph that shows the population of the Earth. And you can clearly show, see that most of the people live in the northern hemisphere, hence that's why they said it was global warming, because everybody believes it because they, they're affected by this warming, which is a bunch of nonsense science. To be clear, because this is the first time I've ever heard this, and I'm pretty skeptical if this is what okay. you're planning. Are you saying that the fact that 90% of the people of the Earth live on the uh, northern part of the Earth, their buildings, their, you know, everything associated with uh, human life, that, that are you saying their mass, the weight is tilting, is affecting the Earth's tilt? Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's a hypothesis, but I don't have any data. It's just a line of thought. You know, why is the Earth shifting? You know, a big shift in the 70s, another one in the early 2000s. Are we due for another one here pretty soon? One, one idea, the other hypothesis is, well, you know, the poles switch every, I think it's 10,000 years or something like that. It could be the poles are switching. <laughs> well, now that's, that's, I've actually seen that out there, and I've seen some things about the, uh, uh, the, uh, the core, uh, the molten core of the Earth um, um, slowing down in spots, having uh, some spots showing up on the satellite. But, okay, well, I just, like I said, uh, that's a hypothesis I'm, that I'm going to, I'm just, I, I, I also don't have any data, but uh, I think that was I don't either, a little out there. <laughs> well, it's simply that, uh, you know, even though that's a huge mass, compared to the total mass, yeah. you know, the dipole, or not dipole, but the, uh, the torque moment is not going to be significant enough yeah. to actually do anything. You know, well, and I that may be so I, I don't know. I'm not a physicist, so I, I don't let know. Me, so let me... Uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, the Jason 3 satellite has been the main satellite measuring sea level rise. Why are estimates of sea level from it woefully flawed or unreliable? And what does the tide gauge data tell us about rising seas by comparison? Okay. The Jason 3 satellite has a minimum resolution of 25 millimeters. You can look up the specifications on the satellite or look on... Uh, um, what is it? Chapter eight of the college textbook. You can download it on cctruth.org. It's only thirty-nine ninety-five for the digital download. Um, in it, we show the actual data of the Jason three satellite. Its minimum resolution is thirty-three millimeters. They say they are measuring and faulty, by the way, a three-point-three millimeter rise per year which is physically impossible also because of my 461 statistics. I know how to calculate reliability. At 10% of your minimum resolution, there's zero reliability in that data. And then uh, not last summer, but the summer before, they launched the Jason 5 satellite. The Jason 5 satellite has a one-millimeter 
minimum resolution, which is great. That's great. But unfortunately, they calibrated it with the JSON-3 unreliable data. So therefore, the JSON-5 data is unreliable. They should have calibrated it with the tide gauges. And the reason why they didn't uh, calibrate it with the tide gauges is because the satellites can't measure uh, sea level rise close to the shore where the tide gauges are. So they don't, you know, these guys at NASA doing this, they don't understand that, you know, science or uh, you can you can still correlate something to something with an offset, and that's all it would be is an offset between the tide gauges and the satellite measurement, and then still probably get a very good correlation and and very good uh, you know adjustments to adjust their sea level rise to the tide gauges. But the tide gauges are all over the world, and they're close to shore. And like the one in South Beach here off of uh, Oregon shows 1.7 millimeters per year linear and not accelerating. And all of the tide gauges show the same thing. Some of them are decreasing. Some of them are increasing. But there is not one that's over that. And, you know, I'm 65 years old. I've been down to the ocean. I go down there and check and get the data from that tide gauge. The sea level is no different than when I was a boy. And, you know, you can, anybody can go to any coast and verify that. So there is, you know, the sea level rise. And also the, the uh, Greenland, uh, the Jacobson Glacier has been growing for now five years, I think. It's not melting anymore. And the actual, the earth is cooling off. I, you know, the data clearly shows that. So, Dave, in closing, what's the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion of climate science today? What What is critical to their being able to cut through the scaremongering and get at the truth? Well, the main thing is to download that textbook. We made it easy to read. It's well written. Uh, you don't have to have a Ph.D. to understand it. And if they have any questions, they can contact me through cctruth.org. I'm happy to answer any questions anybody has on it. Well, Dave, I know you're busy. We've been pleased you with be with us today. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. Yeah, thank you very much. And your listeners can go to cctruth.org. There's no other place to go for climate change. One, oh, one thing I didn't explain just real quick before you go about the IPCC reports. They're deliberate science fiction. They published... Uh, worthless uh, manuscripts loosely referenced in Nature Climate Change when Adam Yeely was their chief editor. His, his PhD was in political science, and he let them publish these garbage manuscripts. And uh, when we found that out, we contacted their board, and they fired him the next day, and now Bronley Wake is the chief editor, but she's woke and operates on a scientific belief system, not an open mind scientific system. Well, thanks for that. Listeners, thanks for checking on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Dave White and his other researchers' efforts at cctruth.org. In addition, continue to listen to our podcast as we track the environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Finally, if you're not already receiving these podcasts on your favorite device, 
Go to iTunes and subscribe, and when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye.